Uh, If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Ephesians chapter 1. All right, I want to jump into our message for today. Uh, For this summer, we are going through the book of Ephesians. Two weeks ago, we started uh, by looking at what does ancient first century letter writing look like? Now, that may seem kind of weird, but uh, these things that we call books of our Bible, uh, many of the New Testament ones, they aren't necessarily written as books. They were written as letters. All right, they were letters from a person to a person or a person to a group or a person to a church. All right, and so these are all letters. Uh, and so I think it is important for us to kind of understand because letter writing in the first century was very different from letter writing today. Uh, when you talk about cost and how they did it and how it was sent and all these different things, I would encourage you, if you missed that first week, uh, feel free to go back and catch that on our website. Um, and and it, it just kind of gives a better framework, I think, as we walk through some of these letters. And then last week, uh, we kind of started into the first part of the letter. And something about letters is they, they usually have a, a template, kind of a structure that they follow. All right, so if you read any of these, you'll see like there's going to be a greeting. And then in the first century, you'd always kind of like wish them well. You would tell them how you're doing as far as health goes. And I hope you're doing well and all these different things. And so you'd have this drawn out greeting that had different things inside of it. Um, And last week, we were looking at part of the greeting. And today, we're kind of still in that greeting. But last week, uh, there was three sections to it. And it was kind of interesting. And each one of these sections actually focused uh, on a different part of the Godhead. Uh, And then a different part of the Old Testament story, what I like to call the rescue story of God trying to redeem creation and bring them back to him. Uh, And then a different way that it applied to the church in Ephesus. So it was a little confusing as we walked through what we thought was maybe just a basic greeting. But if we know the Apostle Paul, nothing is ever basic. And he just packs a million things into every single sentence. And so it was really cool to see this greeting that was laid out in these different ways and how they paralleled each other in these three sections. Um, and, and then we kind of took that and we, we talked about this idea of our freedom that we have in Christ. All right, and what that means to us. And, and specifically last week, holding that in contrast to the freedom that we were celebrating this past week over the 4th of July, this freedom that we have as Americans in our country. Because for far too many Christians, it is easier, and more often they do this, it's easier to reflect on our freedoms as an American than we reflect on our freedoms as a Christian. And that's a really big mistake that we can make. Um, And it just, those don't necessarily go hand in hand. And freedom within the Christian world really is a different idea than freedom in America. Or freedom in America, it's don't tell me what to do. I get to do whatever I want. This is America. And freedom in Christianity, I mean, if you've read any part of the Bible, we are kind of constantly being told what to do. So freedom has a little bit of a different spin on it, and so it's important that we hold those things uh, in, in contrast with each other. And so hopefully you had a good 4th of July. Hopefully you were able to reflect on the freedom that we have in Christ as well. And so uh, let's do this. If, if you're willing, if you're able, would you stand with me? I want to read through our passage for today, uh, and then we will jump into it. So I'm going to be reading today out of the New International Version for the English translation. Uh, lots of times we'll read out of New Living. Today's going to be New International. So it says this, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God, we pray that as we, we dive into the Bible today, God, that we would, we would read through the Apostle Paul's words here and we would be able to understand them uh, within his context and then, and then be able to think about how does that apply to me today, but then actually to do something with it. God, that we would be changed, we would be stirred, we would be moved to action today. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. And I read out of NIV, uh, last week we talked about the idea of how in letters there was not chapters, that's a new thing, there weren't verse numbers, uh, there weren't really paragraph breaks, there really wasn't even punctuation in the same type of way. And so the NLT in this section, uh, there's a list of three things that we just read through. Uh, they, for some reason, break the third one into a new paragraph. <laughs> And you're like, why did you break right there? And so because that's, the translators are kind of making those choices. And so I wanted to go with NIV today just simply because it, it pulls it together in the way that, uh, that I think it was meant to be. So uh, I'm going to break this passage into three parts. Uh, but the middle part is actually where we're going to mainly focus uh, today. And, and what Paul is dealing with, uh, with the people that he wrote this letter to, uh, is people that have made a decision to surrender their life to Christ. All right, like they, they've made that decision. They're part of this church uh, in Ephesus, but they aren't really sure what is next, and they are needing some guidance and how to live and how to continue to grow. Um, and, and based on uh, potential timelines of the church, uh, this, this is probably, the letter might be coming to the church about 10 years after the church was planted, okay? And then during those 10 years, for about two or three of those years, Paul would have lived there with the church, would have been the main person teaching and discipling them. All right, so you, in this church, you have people that um, they could just be starting this journey, or you could have people that have been doing this for a decade, and they've had arguably one of the best teachers that you could have, kind of walking them through this. And so they have a wide range. And what I love about that is it's so just indicative of like the modern church and our church. I know we have people here today, today might be your first time walking through the doors of a church in years, or maybe ever. And that's that's amazing. That's great. And we might have people that you've been coming here every single Sunday, like you were born and your parents were like, well, we got to get out of the hospital because we got to get to church and make it on the first week. And you're like, I have never missed a Sunday. You know, no matter where you are, like in this process, um, I, I think that this will speak to us today. All right. And, and so uh, I just kind of, I, I think this letter is perfect for us um, of how we should be thinking and how we should be living. And so I want us to look at this first section here and it starts in verse 15. It says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. All right, and here's what I love about the, just this little section. Uh, at the end of this section, Paul is talking about praying that they would grow, that they would mature, that they would gain insight and, and wisdom. And Paul lists, uh, lists these things that they were already doing. All right, he lists two things. He says, you have strong faith in Jesus and you love God's people everywhere. All right, and here's why that matters. Like, 
If this is new for you, if you're walking into the church and this is one of your first times and you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing in life and you don't feel like you have all the answers, these two things, these can be done no matter what. No matter where you're at in your walk, what Paul's saying is he's, he's writing to this church and he's going to say, I want you to continue to grow. But no matter where you're at, you're already doing these two things. And so if you're like, I, I don't really know what my next steps are, all of us, no matter where we are, these two things should be present in our life. All right? Like these are the basic characteristics of someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus. And there's no prerequisites. All right, so here's kind of this phrase. Every follower of Jesus... All right, no matter how long they've been following him, should have a strong faith in God and should love people. Every follower of Jesus. Like these, these are the things that we are striving for at, at sometimes the most basic level. All right, and so, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to have strong faith? Well, it, it means that you should trust God to do what he has said he will do. Okay, and I, I have three things that I kind of thought of. I think these are three areas that we often begin to lose trust. All right, and so we need to trust these three things. Trust that he loves and cares for you. All right, now that's important because when life isn't going the way we want it and some terrible tragedy happens and we lose somebody that we're close to and we love, it is really easy in that moment to stop trusting that God cares for us and loves us because all of a sudden our life is really hard and difficult. But it's important to understand that he loves us, he cares for us, Regardless of what's going on in our life, that helps us look at those situations differently. Second thing, you need to trust that he's true to his word, that he's going he's gonna to be faithful. He's not going to fall back on that. And the last thing, that he will provide. It says in scripture, he's going to provide for us. Those three things right there, like the fact that he loves and cares for me, uh, the fact that he, he's not going to like leave me, and that he's going to provide. Those three things, I think, are probably some of the easiest ways that people lose trust in God. Especially when we talk about provision. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, it is really easy to lose faith and trust that God will provide. But he will. And those, those are things we have to hold on to. Those, those three areas, I think, are, are some of the biggest areas that we need to focus on. Um, and then the second thing he said there was just simply love people. It doesn't, it doesn't take any discipleship or special knowledge or growth or a class to just love the people around you. And unfortunately, this is it's one of the most basic things for followers of Jesus. And one of the things that followers of Jesus across our country are getting wrong more often than anything else is just loving people. Now, there's a whole other side of like, well, what if this is going on? What if that? No, you love them. You love them. Like, now, what love looks like may be different in different things, but don't be a jerk. Like, we love people. Every single person is capable of doing this right now. So before Paul even goes into praying for growth um, and the areas that he says, I, I want to see you grow in in this, uh, he says, these two things, you are already doing them like you should be. And for some of you, maybe this is just your step today. The rest of the message might go past you and you're like, that, I need that. I need to work on those two basic things. Then he kind of goes into the second part of this, this area of scripture. And this is where we're going to mainly sit today. Um, and, and here he prays for one thing, and then that one thing, he says, will result in three other things, all right? So here's the one thing. Let's read this, verse 17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So Paul prays that God gives them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
or that the Holy Spirit, which gives both of these, would give them wisdom, and that, it would, that the Holy Spirit would reveal things to them. And, and the word here, when it says reveal, is the word apocalypse. And a few weeks back, we talked about that, that the Greek word apocalypse simply means revealing. It means that we would see things uh, from God's point of view, that he would be able to open our eyes to see things the way he sees it, his version, instead of just our own version. So Paul's saying, I am praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you what God is doing and how best you should respond to that. And then, if, if this one thing happens, he says, if the Holy Spirit begins this process in you, if you allow God to work on you in this way, here are three things that should be a result of this. All right, so verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul says that for this revealing, this enlightening of like the, the opening of the eyes of our heart, that just means basically our internal awareness. And he says, in order that, these other three things will happen. Know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us. And these, these, this is the main part of our passage for us today. If we are allowing God to move in us, to change us, and to grow us, to reveal his way um, through, through seeing things through his eyes, these three things will become present in our lives. If these three things aren't present, then we probably aren't letting God reveal and illuminate the world in the way that we need him to. All right, so the first one, it said, know the hope to which he has called you. This means understand that, that when you chose Jesus, you were called. You are now called to a different life, a better way of living, like his way of living. And when you chose Jesus, you chose to live this way. Like those aren't separate. You can't, you can't choose Jesus, but also choose to just keep living the way that you did and the way that the world lives around you. Like these are tied together. If you choose Jesus, you choose this way of living. You can't do one without the other. And this is the new life that you are called into. And it has a few characteristics. We are called to live in freedom and holiness. You are called to leave behind the things that keep you in bondage, the sin that you were a slave to. Like You were called to leave that and to begin to move in a new direction where you are set apart and you don't look like the rest of the world. The second thing that we, we are called to, this harmonious community. And this means like across the typical boundaries that we would have in our world. We are called to this type of community. So across political boundaries, across ethnic boundaries, across cultural boundaries, uh, socioeconomic boundaries. And the last thing, we, we are called to suffering and his glory. We are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And, and at times, this is going to put us at odds with the world. And with that will come some amount of suffering or persecution because we're trying to live a different way. Now, this is not to be confused with suffering because we are trying to force our way of living on other people. All right? Like, this is important here. Okay? Like, because often Christians try and take, like, yeah, I have this great way of living, and Jesus has told me to live this way. And you know what? Everybody should live this way. Okay, I agree with that statement. 
But understand this, the way that Jesus has called us to live is so countercultural, so backward, so upside down, that if you don't have the motivation of Jesus, you would never choose to live that way. Why would anyone choose to give away what they have to people that they'll never meet? Why would anyone choose to live in certain ways where you're thinking of others first and you want to be humble and you want to to lift up other people and encourage them and love them? Like, why would anyone choose that way? So when we try and force that way of living on others, when they have not made a decision to live for Jesus, we really are just being jerks. And we are being persecuted, not because we're Christians, but because we're jerks. Okay, that's an important thing to understand. All right, like there's, there's a lot of Christians that want to cry foul and, oh, the persecution, and they're so mean to me. Yeah, because you're arrogant and you're a know-it-all and you're, just stop. Like, let's go back to that first thing. Okay, love the people around you. Love the people around And so it's just, this is a tension that we have to understand. All right, like there is persecution when you live for Jesus. But do not think that everything difficult in your life is because of Jesus either. Sometimes we just make stupid choices and we have difficult consequences because of it, all right? So when we choose Jesus, we don't just add him to all the other things that we choose. We choose him above everything else, all right? We, like, when it comes to my free time and my hobbies or Jesus, I choose Jesus. When it comes to my desires and my wants or Jesus, I choose Jesus. My way of living or Jesus. My longtime friends or Jesus. My family or Jesus. The answer in every one of these is Jesus, It doesn't mean that everything else is completely gone. It means that it is a far second place. This is what that passage means when it says, anyone who doesn't hate their their brother or their their family, basically, and it's in compared to how much we love him. It's not that we are supposed to hate the people around us. That, That should throw up a red flag because that goes against everything else in the Bible that we read. So what it is, is it's saying in comparison, Jesus should have such a first place position that the second place position is way down here. And that great of a a varying degree in anything else would look like I like this and hate that. That's how great of a difference first and second place should be. We choose Jesus. Now many of us, we don't have to make decisions in a hard way that's going to affect us like that. Like, some of us, maybe you're choosing like, to follow Jesus, and with that, your family's been like, I don't, I don't really get that. I don't, okay, you're kind of the black sheep of the family now. All right, and so maybe you have walked through some of that, but I'll say, like, compared to most of the world, when we choose Jesus, we have it decently easy. And when the Holy Spirit reveals God in our lives and we grow closer to him, we're going to become more aware of all of this, and we will continue to move towards it. The second thing that is revealed, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, the funny thing in Greek, uh, this phrasing could actually either mean God is inheriting his people, that we are the inheritance for God, or in Greek, it also could actually mean that then, like, we are receiving an inheritance, that we aren't the inheritance. All right, and we had talked about how this letter and the letter of Colossians have a lot of really similar parts to it, like whole sections where Paul has almost written just about the same thing to each one of these churches. And there's a spot in Colossians that talks about the same thing, uh, but there it's a little more evident that it's talking about how we are receiving an inheritance. So we're going to go with that route of this because you can kind of defend either one of those. Um, But in, in that case, the inheritance here 
is what we are told we will, we will receive because we are living the way he has called us to live. All right, when we live that way, we receive an inheritance. So everything from the previous slide, we live that, that new way, that new life, and there is a new future because of that new life. And that new future is the glorious inheritance that we receive when we become part of family, the family of God. And it's not just in the future. It's something we receive now as well. And so because of this, because of this, everyone in the family, everyone receives an inheritance. So that inheritance isn't eternity in a disembodied heaven playing a harp on a cloud in a robe, okay? Like, I, I always kind of come against that trope that I think we have in our minds. Just because, let's just make sure. Let's, let's remove that. That's not biblical, necessarily. That's, that's cartoons. You know, Wiley Coyote gets killed with dynamite and ends up in a cloud, okay? That's, that's not our fate. Um, and so let's just kind of remember, like, that, that's not what this is. It's being part of the new creation that God is redeeming. And he's going to make everything new again, the way he intended it. Uh, and then we, we will steward it and rule over it, okay? Not dominate over it. That's not the type of rule. But we will steward and rule over it as partners with God. And it isn't arrogant for us to think about this reward or this inheritance. Like, Paul says that he, he's hoping and praying that we truly understand and we think about it and we reflect on it. All right? Now, the last thing in this, this group of three that should happen if God is revealing things to us, uh, is his incomparably great power for us. And this last line here is what the rest of the passage kind of explains, which I think is why the NLT has broken that into the next paragraph. Because the remainder of everything we read explains this last thing of his incomparably great power for us. All right, and now understand, like, power is a big deal in Ephesus, where this church is at. All right, like we need to remember some things. The letter to the Ephesians focuses on words for power more than any other letter in the New Testament. All right, so this is the capital, Ephesus is the capital city of worship for certain gods. And it's home to like many, many temples. It's the second largest city in the world at this time, quarter of a million people. It has the, the temple of Artemis or Diana. That's kind of the Greek and Roman names. Um, this is the, the capital for worshiping her. And so you know that there's, there's, where you are worshiping all these other gods, that there's going to be demonic activity, there's going to be things going on, there's going to be powers around them. You also are in the capital of Asia for the Roman Empire. So you have power structures, like just human power structures. Everybody is like underneath someone else and over someone else. And so power is a massive part of the everyday life of someone who lives in Ephesus. All right, it, it's part of their life on a spiritual realm and just in the human realm, power is all around them. Power is a huge deal. And he is saying, you have power available to you. And in case you forgot what type of power it is that's available to you, in case in your mind you're downplaying that power, all right, here's a reminder of what it is. And so I'm going to read this. It just says, that, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul is saying this power, this power is huge. It's bigger than anything else. 
all the powers you see on display around you, the man-made structures of power, the demonic powers, they all fall under the authority and the power of Yahweh. And by the way, that power that Yahweh has over everything, that power is available to you as well. That, that's what he's saying here. Everything else falls underneath this. And that's a big deal. But what does it mean to have this power available to us? Well, Paul is not trying to basically take God's cosmic power and say that that's something that we have. I, like, I'm sorry, but you do not have the ability to create worlds and universes. That does not belong to you. All right, the closest you're going to get, go buy some Legos. You can make whatever world you want. My kids do it daily. That is where our power, our cosmic power ceases. All right? Um, the general idea here of, of what is this power is the life-giving power of God is available to us. What does that mean? Well, for starters, because of this inheritance, there is life that is brought out of death. When we die, there is something greater that is coming. And Paul would often talk about this present age and the age to come. He kind of separated those two things. Uh, it was a way he talked about like the present world and the one where God is going to make everything the way it was intended to be. Like he kind of breaks those up. So this power of life out of death, uh, they didn't think that it was just later. This wasn't something that was just available after you had died. All right? Because of the resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the early church rightly believed that they were in the next age as well as in the present age. So the phrasing that you'll hear around this is the, the already but not yet. Because of what Jesus did, the climax of this rescue story has begun. But it's spread out over time. And so it's the already but not yet. It started, but it hasn't been completed. And so that's what he's kind of saying. He's saying, you, you have power. You have power to bring life where there should be death. And this, this power is available to begin to transform this present age into the age to come. Now, we can't do that ourselves. We cannot bring that about, okay? That's, there's actually, there's, there's certain theologies where people believe that. If we just, if we do this enough, we can basically force God's hand and Jesus will come back. No, not necessarily. That's, that's not what we see in scripture. At least, that's not what I see. Um, if you believe that, that, I'm sure you can find scripture to support that as well. But, but what I'm saying here is not that. What I am saying is, we know what God's plan is. And if we essentially are on God's team, why would we not try and start moving in that direction as much as we can right now? And, and that's kind of what's happening here. All right? And, and so this power is available to make it on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray that way. When injustices are righted, God's kingdom is coming. When life was present where it should be death, literally or figuratively, God's kingdom is coming. This power is also what gives us the strength to overcome the spiritual powers around us. Where the enemy would want death, we see life. And we have the ability to be part of that. This power is not intrinsic to us, though. We don't own it. We stay connected to the source of it. It is available to us when we are aligned with him. And, and that's what he's saying here. And that power that Paul's talking about is meant to be taken into the spiritual extreme of focusing, like, or sorry, isn't meant to be taken into this like spiritual extreme of focusing too much 
on, on spiritual powers around us. This is something that, that I think we see a lot today. Uh, and it's kind of having a resurgence in the church. Of um, it, It's just all about the idea of the miraculous or seeing God break through in those ways or coming against these uh, enemy strongholds. All those things, I, I believe those are for today. I believe those are real. But I think we also can very easily become over-obsessed in some of those areas um, with different things. And so we, we're, we're called to kind of walk this line of those are real. They're around us. There are spiritual powers around us. But we have a power that is greater. And so we shouldn't be living in this life that's completely driven by fear of those necessarily either. And at the same time, like it's, that power is for today to see life, to see the miraculous, to see physical healing in people's lives. Like that, that we see that today. And so I think both of those are important, but they, 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 they shouldn't be like the, the primary focus of this. And this isn't a power that removes tragedy and persecution and difficulty. Like we're, we, we are still called to that. But in this moment, it would seem that Paul is talking about basically the power to live in the midst of all of those. That, that's the power that we have. The power to be life-giving while you are in a life-taking world. And, and I think that too often we underestimate that power. It sounds like a cop-out just to say that the power that we have is to be life-giving when the world is life-taking. Right, to live differently while living in a world filled with spiritual powers, with sickness and death, with injustice, with tragedy and persecution. In spite of all of this, we can live and, and we can live differently. That, that's what Paul is saying in this passage. And we can see life in a world where everyone else sees death. And when we experience death, we can see the potential life that is underneath that. That's why we don't mourn in the same way. We don't grieve the same way. That's what scripture says. Because where, where others see death, we see life. I love this challenge and encouragement to the church in Ephesus. And I think it works great for us today. And as we take what is written here to a specific group and, and we transfer it to us, uh, there aren't many pieces of this that I don't think don't work for us today. There's passages in the Bible that, that we need to really understand the cultural filters that things are passing through and, um, and all sorts of other things so that we can apply it to us. But this one is pretty straightforward. And, and that will be a lot of this letter because it was a generalized letter to, to be passed among churches and um, in this area. So I want to sort of boil this all down for us to easily take with us today. All right, it was easy for this message to, to maybe be a little bit over um, our heads or to be kind of all over the place and things. So I want to boil this down into just a quick like summary uh, of I think what this is for us. All right. Um, and, and so the first thing we all need to be doing is striving to trust God greater and love the people around us. And this doesn't take any special knowledge or discipleship or growth. It is, it is basic and we can start doing it now. But as we continue on this path following Jesus, we should be praying that God would give us his eyes and his heart and that he would reveal to us the way that he sees the world. And as that happens, we will greater understand how our life should be different from the world around us. And when we live that different life, there will be something greater for us. And not just at the end of life, after death, but even right now. Because this different way of living is all about bringing life 
in places where there's normally death. It isn't about escaping this world and, and the trouble that is in it, but instead living in a way where we keep God at the center of our focus and the center of our mind, and we even begin to point others to him as we live counterculturally. That, that's the message of Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, right there. Let's, let's stand together as we close this. I think what we always want to do is we want to, we want to read through God's word. We want to try and unpack it. Um, and, and what did it mean to the original recipients? And then, then we process it for us today. But then we actually have to apply it to our individual lives. Right? James chapter 1 says, don't just be hearers of God's word, but be doers. All right? And that means so, so far today, all we have been doing together is hearing. The doing part happens when we walk out these doors. So right now, we have only accomplished half of what James tells us to do. We have been hearers of the word. But there's a, I, I think the reason why so often we struggle to go from hearing to doing is I think there is a critical step that we can put in between those two that we often overlook, all right? And, and that is processing, like, what does this mean for me and how do I need to apply it? Essentially, the step in between hearing and doing is planning. It's planning. And planning doesn't have to be a real long thing. Like, you hear, you plan, you do. And, and so I want us even just right now in the last couple minutes here, this is our planning time. We have heard. Hopefully your idea is I want to go and do. So right now, just together, where you are, individually, whatever this looks like, how do you take what we are hearing today and apply it in your life? What part of this passage, maybe as we are reading through it and talking through this, maybe there's something specific that just jumped out to you and you're like, that's it. That's what I need to be doing more of. That's what I need to focus on. That's where I need to grow. And I'd challenge you probably to only have one or two things. If, if we walk out of here every week being like, I'm going to do all of that. I'm going to be the greatest Christian ever this week. What happens? Well, it's kind of like a New Year's resolution. You fail two weeks into January and you're like, ah, I might as well give up. But when you have just one or two things, you're like, all right, this is what I need to focus on. This is what I need to do. God, this is, I want to change this week and I want this to be the source of it. I want this to be kind of the, the, the focus of it. So what are one or two things? It, maybe it could be trusting God. Maybe you struggle with that piece of having this strong faith and trust in God that he's going to provide or that he loves you. He's not going to leave you. Maybe it's loving the people around you. Maybe you need to find a better way to love people around you and not just the people you should love, like I'm saying like family and close friends. You know, scripture says that, that everybody does that. As Christians, what makes us countercultural, upside down and backwards, is that we love our enemies. But the trouble is right now, that's not what's happening. We aren't upside down and backwards. We're throwing hatred across social media, across political lines, across ethnic lines, across cultural lines, across whatever line you want to say. And so maybe, maybe we need to just work more on, on loving people. Maybe you need, you need to grow in your knowledge and understanding of God. That as you know him better and you understand how he sees and approaches the world, that, that you're going to be able to be more like him. 
And when that happens, then you'll begin to understand those other three pieces. Those three pieces we spend a lot of time on, that's, that's a result of growing closer to God and having that revelation, that revealing, that understanding of who he is and who his character is. So we don't seek after those three things. We seek after God. Those three things are the outcome. So maybe this week you need to just say, you know what, I've been really busy this summer and I need to schedule and plan some more time to just seek after God. Just spend time in his presence. So I want to give us just a few moments right now. I'll I'll close us in prayer and I'm just going to kind of take this time just a little bit slower just so where are you at in this? What specific thing this week do you need to be focusing on? Let's just kind of even close our eyes right now. God, we invite you to just right now begin to highlight things in our life. Lord, that we would be, we would be honest of where we are, that we would assess our personal life and our spiritual life honestly. And that by doing that, we'd be be able to say, okay, God, these are the areas I'm falling short. These are the areas that I want to grow in. These are the areas that I need to put more attention on and and more focus on. God, and that this week, if if it's trusting you, God, I pray that we would have opportunities where we have to trust you, where things get difficult. God, if we struggle with trusting you financially, I'm going to pray a bold, audacious prayer right now, God, that you would stretch us financially this week. God, and that, that by, by understanding that, when those things happen, it, w- it would immediately trigger this in our mind, saying, this is, yeah, this might be a hardship, but this is an opportunity for me to trust God. And that we would change that filter, and we'd begin to see things in that way. God, that if we need to love people this week, I pray that you would bring some of the most difficult people to love right into our face this week. God, that 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 coworker that just gets under our skin, Lord, that they would be on overtime this week. God, that we would have these opportunities to love the people around us and that, that when that happens, we'd take a step back and we'd say, okay, God, this is my opportunity to love. When nobody else around me is loving, God, when all the other coworkers can't stand that one coworker and, and they're all just heaping it on, God, that I would be different. I would be countercultural in this. God, and if we're busy, Lord, slow us down where we can just spend time in your presence just focusing on you. Jesus, we ask this for, for every single one of us in this room. God, no matter where, where we are spiritually, I pray that this would be our week. God, and when it happens, that we would have the right mindset and the right attitude to see it for what it is. And that's an opportunity for growth. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.